one there it is welcome everybody we have another awesome fun guest we are going to talk about powerfully ending relationships and then we're going to see wherever else it might go we are going to have a great time today like always so tune in practicing polyamory real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory the mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, here we go. Welcome, 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 everybody, to this beautiful sunny day. Oh, I love living in San Diego. Sorry for everybody that's not having a sunny day. <laughs> but hey, you know, can everybody here in San Diego. Anyway, before we jump in and chat with our awesome guests, I want to quickly remind everybody to please follow the show everywhere on social media, especially Facebook and Instagram where I'm most active, but we're everywhere at Practicing Poly A. I'm even doing TikTok now, so Practicing Poly A, that's where you can find me. Uh, best way to support the show, best free way to support the show, and speaking of free ways to support the show, the really best is to share it far and wide. Encourage others to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Wherever it is that you download your podcasts, uh, my goal is to get to 40,000 subscribers, and I know that I can do it with your help. So if you find value in what we're doing, please share it with your Polycule, share it with your Poly Facebook groups, share it with your Poly friends, your chosen family, all over the interwebs. And lastly, and as always, I want to remind you, if you are listening to this podcast, you're a welcome guest to be on this show. If you are actively polyam, polyam curious, or a professional serving the polyamorous community, uh, you are welcome, and I want to hear your story. If you are disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kingster, queer, lesbian, trans, NB, arrow, ace, we are accepting of all. We want to hear all of your stories. Your stories are the ones that we want to hear because the more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the more representation we have, the better we can serve our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, that is my spiel, everybody. Uh, as always, best part of the show, let's introduce our guest. Our guest today has been working with families for nearly 20 years in both traditional and non-traditional settings. She's been a life coach, an educator, and the founder of the only school for self-directed learning in a working democracy in the entire state of Utah. As a coach, she's helped people overcome relationship struggles, build and run successful businesses, create meaningful life goals, and climb out of debt. As a certified family life educator, she's helped individuals and families find ideal relationships, prepare for marriage, plan for children, and powerfully end relationships. So that'll be interesting. Our guest is passionate about transforming families and people's lives to empower them to live a life that they love. I'm excited to dive in with this awesome guest who's joining us today from Third Eye Family Solutions out of Utah. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jen Schwartz. <laughs> There we go, there Dr. We go. Jen. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so Thank much for you. spending some time with me today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. And actually, I, I did professionally put on raves for a couple of years, too, so that was a very what? appropriate clip. <laughs> nice. It's a long oh, okay. time ago, but... 
Yeah. I, I, but I, I want to hear that story just real quick. I mean, let's start with that. Putting From putting on raves to getting your doctorate's degree, what's right? that journey like? Right. Well, and the million steps before, after, and in between, too. No, um, for a little while, I was an office manager at an audio technology company. And what we did was we produced um, binaural beat technology, which helps sync the brain into different brain states. And usually people use that for things like relaxation and sleep. And we looked at using it for an alert state in a meditative state and we put it under dance music and we put mm -hmm. on several raves as part of what we did with the with the binaural beats um, and had that running as part of the music the whole time and just created really amazing experiences for people so it was a long time ago let's see my kids um, my oldest kids are 21 and 19 now and I think they were three and one at the time so it's wow, been, a, okay. been a minute but it was a lot of fun <laughs> seems like it was kind of the beginnings of your career and so uh getting from there to uh, deciding to get your, your doctor's degree and open up this uh, family, uh, family solutions practice where you just, you help people to achieve their lifelong goals. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I originally was an elementary school teacher even before I had kids. And, uh, and then I went into alternative education. As you mentioned um, from my bio, we actually started a private school here in Utah that was about self-directed education, which is not something most people even know about, much less get to experience in their lifetime. Um, and, you know, I love doing that. I went on and got a master's degree in education and had a lot of fun playing in there. But I always knew that there was more that I wanted to do outside the educational realm. Um, and I ended up deciding to get a doctorate thinking it would be more related to what I was doing in education. And it took a total left turn. Um, I went in and did my research in spiritual, the spiritual experience of giving birth mm -hmm. and talked to birthing people about their experiences doing that and how it changed them as a person. Um, and so, and, you know, from there I ended up going into counseling and then opened a private practice about two years ago, um, coming up on two years. And I've just been doing that ever since. And, you know, one of the amazing things, a few years back, so to kind of get it into the, the theme of what you're all about, right? Yep. yep. I was. Uh, I have going to be my next question. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I had several polyamorous clients, and I have my own poly story, which I'm sure we'll get into as well. But I saw an article in, I believe it was even Psychology Today, that said the top 10 ways you're actually hurting your polyamorous clients rather than helping them. And I thought, Ooh, I better read this, right? I have all these poly clients. I better make sure I'm not screwing people up. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I started to read the article and I realized I'm actually not doing any of these things. And I wasn't oh. doing them because I lived for four years as part of a polyamorous quad. I know the world. I know, you know, what it's like to be in all of those different positions, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't doing those things that therapists and counselors who haven't had the personal experience do. You know, the judgment in the back of your head where you're like, well, gosh, you know, if you were just monogamous, you wouldn't even be having this problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't have that judgment in the back of my head because I don't expect monogamy from everyone. Um, so it was really great. And it actually opened me up to then marketing myself as someone who works with the poly community. Mm -hmm, and of mm -hmm. course, as soon as you do that, you know, your, your name gets around really fast because there's not a whole lot of people out there who are poly, fr poly friendly, not to mention mm -hmm. actually have their own life experience that they can relate to you from. Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, that's how I found you is uh, through the polyfriendly.org website, uh, yep. marketing yourself that way. So uh, it is a minority 
even though there are a ton of names there, it is still a minority and not everybody is poly friendly. So uh, you were in a quad. Yes. Yep. I, tell me about that experience. How did, when did that happen? You, you, your kids, you said the oldest are 21 and 19. So uh, I'm assuming that they were around when this was going on. They absolutely were. So my, uh, my former husband and I, we, we got divorced about, I think we're at about eight years or so now. So we're looking at 14 years ago. Uh, actually, when he and I first got together, which was in 2001, we were polyamorous from the beginning. Um, and, okay. you know, like, like many people who start as a couple and declare themselves polyamorous, that meant a lot of different things over the years. Sometimes it meant that we had other casual relationships. Other times it meant that we had more serious relationships. Um, and at a particular point where we were is living with, uh, so I had my husband and my boyfriend and my husband's girlfriend. And among us, we had 12 kids. So, yeah, wow. <laughs> it was. And six of them were like full time with us all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and the other six were back and forth with other parents, you know, with with all the blended families there. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was quite the ride. You know, 12 kids is a lot of kids. Even when it's mm -hmm. only six at home, that's still a lot of kids. It is. Um, oh, was and this in Utah? It was in Utah, right? Okay. Which, of course, you know, it, it was really interesting. Um, we we ended up buying a house. The house that my husband and I had lived in was not really suitable for four adults and six mm -hmm. to six to twelve kids. So we ended up buying a house and remodeling it to make it more friendly for our family. And we lived next door to polygamists. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really interesting. One day, a couple of the the men who lived there, since there was you know there was three wives who lived there, and their husband had passed away. And so there were other men, there was a, a brother of one of the wives and some other uncles and cousins, you know, but just various men who were around to take care of these women and all the kids. And two of the men came over one day and they wanted to ask us what scripture we were following because they knew that we were a quad and how that was different from the scripture they followed. And we're like, there's no scripture involved, honey, but thank you for asking. Um, very oh, entertaining conversation. And we had a lot of fun with that. It's something we still joke about all of us to this day. So, yeah. Yep. So you, you uh, are not together with them anymore, but you've managed to stay friends. Well, absolutely. So my, my boyfriend at the time is my husband now. So oh, we have, okay. we have stayed together. Um, and so, you know, when you look at it, the idea of ending relationships, right in a, in a polyamorous situation, you know, one relationship might be ending, but what does that mean for everyone else? Mm -hmm. uh, so in our case, what that meant is my husband and his girlfriend were together for several years after my husband and I split. Um, they're no longer together, but my boyfriend and I, like I said, he's now my husband. We've been married for about two and a half years. Um, and we've been together for 11 and a half years. So, um, and there's a lot of overlap there always, right? It's always mm -hmm, funny mm -hmm. to me when I tell people the timelines of how old kids are and, oh yeah, you know, Joe and I have been together for 11 and a half years. They're like, wait a minute, but you and Craig have only been divorced for eight years. So how did that work? Right. So, <laughs> uh, it, it brings on some interesting conversations as, as I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, so I know that we, we talked about, about powerfully ending relationships, but I, I, I don't get a lot of people that talk openly about their families and especially when it comes with uh, children. So I'm kind of going to detour and, and go this direction because I feel yeah. like that might be a little bit more, more interesting. I mean, especially in this situation where you actually have like 
this whole quad and you know you you end up changing partners so um you know what was that experience like I, i i you can't necessarily speak for your kids but you know how do you see from your perspective that it has affected them Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really different for every person, right? So um, the youngest child of all the kids is uh, my current husband and I have an eight-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And he was born during that time where we were all living together and all the kids were there. And one of my favorite photos of that is uh, my child who's now, so I have two kids who are non-binary. So one of them's 14 now. And they were six when uh, their little brother was born. So my six-year-old at the time, and then my former husband, who was my husband at the time, right? His girlfriend's daughter, who was seven at the time. And I have a picture of the two of them standing there, you know, moments after the eight-year-old was born. And they Mm -hmm. both have these looks on their faces that are like... Just these, oh asta- and literally they both had their hands to their faces, right? It just was <laughs> astonished looks. Uh, and it was a wonderful thing to get to share, you know, having my, not just my partner there with me for the birth, but also my husband who'd been there when our two kids had been born mm-hmm. and my husband's partner who'd also had four home births and we were, you know, everybody's there. Um, and, you know, it affected all the kids differently is the basic answer to your question. Um yeah. We have, so the little girl in the picture who was seven at the time, she's 15 now, she and my 14-year-old and she and my 19-year-old are still very, very close. Mm -hmm. Um, They spend a lot of time together. You know, she's always welcome in our home. She's kind of considered another one of our kids, even though she's not really connected in any way at any point in time. Um, A couple of the older kids had a much harder time with it. And of course they would, right? The little kids are like, oh, we're doing this now? Great. This is fun. I get to have more kids around. I get to have more adults that can help me. I have, Mm -hmm. you know, if I need a snack and mom's not available, guess what? I got three other adults I can go to. It's fine. Um, and the, you know, for the older kids, it was harder. Um, I think, like I said, some adjusted better than others, both adjusted to having the quad and then to not having the quad. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I've had with my own kids in particular, I've had a lot of conversations about what was that like for you? You know, mm-hmm. so my oldest is 21. Um, they got married a couple of years ago. Also, that's the other non-binary ones. So my 21 year and 14 year old. So my 21 year old got married a few years ago and it wasn't too much longer after that, that their other partner moved in with them. Uh, and they were living in a triad for two and a half years. Um, and then my child and their spouse have separated but they're both still in relationship with the third person that was in their triad. So yes. Right. So (laughs) like all kinds of messy, but also beautiful and wonderful things. So, you know, they had told me from the time they were very little. And I think it's because they saw me in many different relationships and different formations. They said, when I grow up, I want to have, you know, whatever the numbers were, I want to have five wives and three husbands and we're all going to live in a big house together. (laughs) I'm like, great, go for it. Cool. That'd be too big of a community for me personally, but if that works for you, go for it. So I think, you know, in in a lot of senses, it's like anything with kids. For us, we normalized it. Right. We didn't, you know, and we, we never had the kinds of conversations that might have to happen in some families of, 
you know, don't tell so-and-so mm-hmm. for whatever reason, we don't tell so-and-so about mommy's other boyfriend. Right. right. Um, and we were, we were really fortunate that we never really had to have those kind of conversations with our kids. So they never had to keep a secret. They never had to feel like, Oh, maybe something's wrong about this. It was always just, this is the way it is. Mommy loves lots of people. And so does daddy. And so does my stepdaddy. And so does my stepdaddy's girlfriend. And <laughs> we all just love lots of people. You know, it's it's all love. It's all about love. That's what it's really all about. And, you know, as as you're talking, I'm, I'm just thinking of, you know, it, it is, you know, I've, I've read uh, and listened to uh, The Polyamorous Next Door. Uh, I had uh, Dr. Chef on the show and she's written a whole lot about it. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of information just in there, but I haven't actually had an opportunity to talk to somebody mm. that's, you know, lived the, lived the life for, yeah. you know, 11 years. Well, so we were four years in that quad, but like I said, my ex-husband and I were together for 13 years. So 13 mm. years in, in living polyamorous, um, when my ex-husband and I separated my partner and I at the time decided that we were going to spend some time being monogamous and we've continued to do so. Um, it just, there hasn't been any pull for either of us to do things differently. So I would say 13 years, 13 years of polyamory and all of that with kids in the mix. Cause I already had one son when I came into that, that Mm. relationship. Yeah. Super interesting. Super interesting. I love it. Um, I had a question and then it disappeared on me. <laughs> I hate it when that happens, especially yeah. on a live show. You know, it's one of those right. things. It's like you can't you can't edit it out. So yeah. uh, <laughs> as I'm sitting here thinking, uh, so going back, uh, it was 13 years. Um, you said that you and your husband actually started out uh, polyamorous. Uh, yeah. And did you know of the term beforehand? Did you kind of learn it as you went? Um, did what was that? How did that start? Yeah, that's a good question because it was so long ago. How did that start in 2020? <laughs> it was 20 years ago now, right? Because that was 2001. Um, I think, you know, we had we had both um, come from, uh, you know, we were both married before. We mm-hmm. each had one child from our prior, prior marriages. And neither of us really had the pull to just couple. You know, mm-hmm. like coupling wasn't what we wanted to do. But we also knew we wanted to be together. So it, it wasn't that we necessarily knew it like, oh, yeah, let, you know, that polyamory thing. Let's go do that. I don't think that at the time we even knew the term in the very, very beginning. Um, we found it pretty quickly. You know, someone I talked to at some point in time said, oh, you should read The Ethical Slut. OK. And we did. And it like started to learn various things about about the community. And there was a wonderful blog. And again, we're talking 20 years ago, but um, it was a, written by a woman and she had two uh, male partners and they had a bunch of kids, six or seven kids and no clarity or reason for clarity around which man was the father of which child. Mm. The three of them just had a bunch of kids together. Right. And it was a really beautiful and inspiring blog. And I, and I loved reading about their communication and how they dealt with one another. And, uh, and both of the men were bisexual as well. So it was very much a, a tri triangle triad, mm-hmm. right? Not a V. Um, and, uh, you know, they just have this beautiful family. And I was like, that's what I want right there. That's the I thing it. I want. We, we, you know, we went about things a little differently and things ended up looking different than mm-hmm. where, where then her real life, right? Her life was her life. Our life was going to be our life, but the more we stepped out, um, there was actually a, a polyamory support group 
at the Utah Pride oh. Center um, even 20 years ago. And, you know, we went to a few oh, meetings wow. there and met some people there and got to just learn. I don't know. It's just it's sort of that general learning process, right, of going, yeah. oh, okay. I mean, I didn't know the difference between a triangle and a V relationship when that mm -hmm. started. And then that was something I learned. Like, oh, okay, I can see how these can be. There's all different ways to form this, right? And right. the beautiful thing about polyamory is it's not it's not one thing. Like monogamy is one thing. It's two partners together without anybody else. Polyamory is like this whole wide range of what does that mean? What does that look like? And most importantly, what works for you? What mm -hmm. works for you and your family? And a lot of opportunity for that to change and to grow and, you know, it could be a V today and tomorrow it could be a W or, you know, right. whatever. Like there's, there's a lot of different things. Um, so I remembered what I, what I wanted to ask you and it was about yeah. the subject that, that, that we picked, which was powerfully ending relationships. Uh, you, you ended that relationship with, uh, your, your first husband and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maintained the friendship. And you were telling me about, uh, your child who, uh, ended a relationship there, but they're able to maintain, uh, at least part of that, it wasn't a you know full triangle anymore, but at least it stayed a V. Yeah. So when it comes to powerfully ending relationships, uh, what are some of the things that maybe you tell your, your clients that you, I assume, learned from personal experience? Yeah. Well, I mean, I learned from personal experience and of course I also have a whole lot of training and education, right? Mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. kind of, kind of hard to say what came from where, but I think, you know, the biggest thing, and I'm actually working on some folks were, we're working on a, a book or, or a workshop. We're not quite sure what it's going to end up being <laughs> one of those projects right now um, about uh, parenting after divorce. Right. But it, okay. it's, it's the same topic, which is when relationships end, it's hard. Yes. It just is. It doesn't matter. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's a relationship where it's just you and one person and you never have to have contact with them again and you go your separate ways or you're entangled in this giant quad of a family with 12 <laughs> kids and you've got all these people to attend to. It's hard. And I think that the, the biggest thing that I've learned in the research and the work we've been doing is I had this pull to want to say, how can we not have that stage? where we're angry. How can we bypass that and not mm. be pissed off at the other person and just want to hurt them? And, you know, like all those things. And the thing I've really come to is I don't think we can. I think oh. it's part of the process. Part of the process is just like any process of grief, right? You, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you those stages of grief we've all heard of. Well, guess what? One of them's anger. Right. And, you know, when someone dies, it's not usually anger at the person. It's usually anger at the world or it might be anger at the medical system that let the person down or whatever it oh. is. And when you're ending a relationship, that anger is usually with the person that the relationship was with. Mm -hmm. um, so given that it's inevitable to a degree, how can we handle it? Right. Because that's the most important part is, you know, you've got to let yourself go through that anger and feel it. But that doesn't mean you have to actually lash out. You don't have to hurt the person. You don't have to burn bridges. You don't have to say something that you later regret and have to fix and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it becomes more about appropriately managing the anger rather than trying to not have it. Appropriately and that's really, managing it. Yeah, exactly. And that's really the biggest, the biggest thing that I deal with. And again, it's, you know, it's with monogamous couples who are divorcing. It's the same conversation we have in all of those, like you're going to be angry. So how can you let yourself be angry 
without it hurting anyone else. I imagine that there are circumstances where that's easier than other times. I mean, if a cheating situation, there's a lot of hurt feelings. There's a lot of betrayal. It's really, really difficult to not be angry as opposed to, you know, we just incompatible for some other reason, right? Like we just, right. I don't know, whatever. So are those, when, when we have those different degrees, are there different steps? Are there different ways? Are there different strategies to try and manage that anger and not let it take complete hold? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that's a great way to look at it, right? Because you are right. If, you know, in the case of cheating, the person you might be angry with might not be your partner. You might be more angry with whoever they cheated with than you are with your actual partner, right? Um, and, and yeah, sometimes we're just not con- compatible. That's the reality of life. Not mm-hmm. everybody's going to be partners for life, right? I think the most important thing, and this especially comes in when you're talking about polyamory, is finding a person where in a space where you can fully express that anger, but not have it hurt people, right? So, you know, in the case of, like I said, my child and that relationship, the person that he expresses the anger to doesn't get to be the other partner because that partner is still in relationship with the spouse, right? Right. So, you know, that's like going to somebody and going, oh, my gosh, your mom did da 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 da. And like, you, you want to go, hold on and defend your mom. Right, it's the right. same thing, right? So if, if you're in a polyamorous relationship, don't express that anger with any of the partners. You've got to find some space outside that relationship. Um, you know, also expressing anger in a way that's more like, you know, using nonviolent communication techniques, for example, when you are talking to the partner that you're ending the relationship with and saying, I'm so angry that you fill in the blank with whatever it was that happened. And what I need from you right now is to have you not talk to me for the next two weeks so that I can go handle this on my own. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you go find somebody who is a good listening ear, whether that's another friend, whether that's your therapist, whether that's, you know, your diary, if you don't have anybody else to talk to and you just want to journal it yourself go to a rage room and break things. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's lots of ways to do it, but don't do it in your polycule. It's not the place for it. That's not the place for it. I That's fantastic advice right there. I, I mean, I've fallen into that trap, you know, where something's going wrong with one partner and I just go talking to my other partner about it. I feel like that's, that's who I'm supposed to talk to about it. And I mean, if they're not in a relationship with my other partner, is that okay? I mean, again, it really depends on your on your relationship, right? So if you're talking about something with the intention of working through it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you go to your other partner and you're like, man, I'm having a really hard time with so-and-so. I just don't know how to manage this thing. And you're there and, and you say, I just need you to listen. And they listen and you're done. Great. Or if you say, I... Um, really need some suggestions. I want to hear what your suggestions are. And they give you some suggestions and you go put them into practice. Great. Um, But if you're there to bitch and moan, I hope I can say that on the live broadcast. (laughs) If you're there to whine and moan, it's not the place for it, right? Because all you're doing in that situation is you are denigrating the listening of the person you're talking about to the person you're talking to. Does that make sense? Yeah. you're just making that other person look bad. And then, yep. you know, later yep. when you're like, 
oh yeah, I love this person so much. And your other partner's like, well, I don't know why. Cause the other day you were told me they were such a jerk. Mm-hmm. That's when you get into some messy, messy stuff. Yep. Uh, want to just thank this uh, commenter. We needed this discussion right now. Relationships are hard. I describe my past relationships as a tornado of emotion. Yeah. That's, I mean, those are the things that we, that we fall into when, you know, when we don't have the tools like you're talking about, when we, uh, and especially like what you were just saying, where you're talking badly about one partner to the other. And we get into that situation, like you mentioned, where, the very next day you're like, Oh, I love them so much, but wait, hang on yesterday. Right. And that's, that's that roller coaster, right? That's the, the, the tornado. Yep. That's all of those things that, that just messes us up. So if we're going to be venting to someone, I mean, but, and, and our emotions are going to change, right? If our emotions change, I mean, that's kind of the, the reaction that we're going to get from anybody that we're talking to. Yeah. So maybe, are there, I mean, should we even, I don't know. I'm kind of lost right there. I'm kind of like, <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. Well, it's not that venting is bad, right? Sometimes venting is what we need. Um, one of the things I teach my clients a lot is if you are going to vent, give yourself a time limit. Okay. Like l- literally say, I need five minutes to vent or I need 10 minutes to vent and set a timer. And when the timer goes off, stop. Because really, you you don't need to vent for an hour, I promise. It might feel like it, but the only thing you're doing then is you're fueling the negativity mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. yourself and whoever's listening, right? So 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes if it's a really big thing you need to vent about. And then when the timer goes off, stop venting, take a couple deep breaths, and then you can either just turn to the person you were venting to and say, thank you so much, or you can turn and say, do you hear anything in there where I might be off? Because I feel like maybe there's something I can do in this situation to make things better that I'm missing, right? Mm-hmm. Or what advice What advice would you have for me in the situation that you just heard? I mean, it's really easy if, if we ask those kinds of questions to like fall into a trap of allowing that conversation to continue. And then like that venting session, you know, I get the advice or I get the, the reaction from whoever it is that I'm talking to. And then it's like, oh, but hang on, let me tell you this. And it right. becomes another, you know, another roller coaster, another, another round in the spiral. Uh, so would maybe like we get that feedback and we just say, okay, we're just going to take the feedback and not respond. Yeah. I I think so. I mean, you know, it might be if you come up against something and somebody goes, oh, well, here, I suggest you do this. And you're like, well, I tried that. It didn't work. You could either just, like you said, say thank you and move on. Or you could say, I tried that. It didn't work. Do you have anything else? Got any other ideas here? Mm -hmm. Um, And see if you can actually, I, I think the biggest thing is, especially when it comes to things like venting, we get into cycles of wanting to complain versus wanting to fix a problem, Mm. right? Like actually address what's going on. I mean, if you're having a problem in a relationship, whatever relationship it is, um, and you're not committed to doing anything about it, well, then you better get used to it and decide not to be upset about it because you're kind of making a conscious decision then to just deal with the problem. Um, so if you can get yourself past and, and, you know, I, what you just said is perfect, right? It's like, well, you could try this and you're like, oh yeah, I tried that. You want to know what happened when I tried that? Let me tell you this, right? Just mm-hmm. get you back into another spiral and you're still not doing anything to address the issue at hand. 
I I do love the idea though of uh, giving myself five minutes and like I'm I'm imagining myself like going to a friend and being like okay look I need five minutes right and yeah. don't take anything that I say seriously like just take it with a grain of salt and I just need to like let it rip and just like this mother and this bit and, yep. bit, bit, and just like rip into that person and like okay <sighs> I let it all go I feel better right. now. None yep. of I didn't mean any of what I said. I mean, I did, but I didn't. But you know, sure. I just I just needed to get it out. Yeah, it's and those moments it's where you're you're not watching your words, right? You need that yeah. minute to not have to be like speak carefully or any of that. Just like blah, vomit, right, and yes. get it over yes. with. But by the way, the same technique works when you're having a problem in your relationship. In your relationship, you can go to somebody, you go to one of your partners, and say, "I have a concern, and I need to talk to you." And I would like five minutes to speak and just be heard, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you don't want to vomit during that kind of conversation. <laughs> you want to be a little more responsible with what you're saying and how you're saying it. But you can also just say, I need to, I really need to be heard, right? And, and same thing, set a timer, right? My husband mm -hmm. and I do this all the time. I do this with my kids sometimes when they're like, I, you know, and I'll say, I, I've got an issue that I want to talk to you about, but I, I limit myself so that I don't then end up going on and on about all the nuances of why there's a problem there. Um, and I'm talking about my adult kids, not the eight year old, but, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. um, but you know, and then, and then you give yourself that five minutes to speak about whatever it is that's, that's on your mind, that's bothering you. Um, give your partner a chance to respond and say, okay, well, here's what I heard. I heard you're upset about the dishes and you're upset about that date I went on and you're, you know, these, these are the things that are bothering you. And then you got to turn around and give them the grace of giving them the five minutes to speak as well. Not to, not as like a rebuttal, but as a chance for them to also communicate. Nice. Equal yeah. opportunity. Yep, exactly. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Dr. Jen, we are a little bit past our time, uh, which is cool. I asked you beforehand, so we're good. Yep, no worries. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that you wish that I had mm -hmm. asked? Or uh, if not, then just some final thoughts that you would want to leave with our audience today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you and I could probably talk for three or four hours. Um, <laughs> you're a really long podcast and hard to keep other people's attention, but we'd probably enjoy it. Um, no, I think, you know, the only thing I would say is, and I think most listeners who've had any experience in polyamory would, would know this already, but, um, polyamory is hard, you know, relationships are hard enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you add in multiple relationships, it's not just, oh, now I have to communicate with two people or three people, but they often need to communicate with each other. And, you know, human beings just aren't that great at communication for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, so you now have four complicated co communication pathways or six communicated, right? Whatever it is. Yep, yep. Um, it ends up. It's, it's not for everyone for that reason. In, in my opinion, the level of communication it takes is really something that many people struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think sometimes it's easier to be monogamous. <laughs> and I don't say that to talk anyone out of anything because I would not trade my experiences for the world. And I certainly don't tell any of my poly clients that they shouldn't be, right? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the communication is tough. And I think if you're really struggling with communicating, even just with your, your single partner, your multiple partners, your V, your triad, your quad, your whatever you've got going on, um, finding someone who is supportive of your relationships who can listen and 
support everyone equally in communicating is the best thing you can do for everyone involved. So there's my, there's my final word. <laughs> there you go. And yeah. uh, one final word from one of our listeners, Sandy, great being with you, Jen. Thanks for supporting <laughs> people like you do. Awesome. Love you, Sandy. She's <laughs> a good friend. All right. So before we uh, head off, Dr. Jen, I just wanted to make sure to ask you if people wanted to work with you, talk with you, chat with you, how can they best get in touch with you? Absolutely. So the best way to get in touch with me is through our website, which is Third Eye Family Solutions. That's third, like first, second, third. I like your eyeball. Family Solutions and dot uh, com. And there is a button on every page that you can click to set up a free consultation call. We usually take about 30 minutes for those calls to assess what your needs are and how we can best support you. So that's the best way to do it. Um, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Third Eye Family Solutions. I love it. It's perfect. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Jen, again, so much for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate your time. Um, it's been great. It's been fun. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you as always to our live audience as well for tuning in. As a reminder, when we're live, you don't get any commercial interruptions, but the same cannot be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live right here Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for Patreon where you get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is you download those podcasts if you haven't already, and leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. Leave comments, leave uh, hearts and likes and all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, Y'all are awesome. Thank you again so much. And uh, until next time. Have a nice day. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash